Hello and welcome to the ICE Tech Talks podcast. I'm Mark Hansford, Director of Engineering Knowledge here at the ICE. And I'm Alex Wynn, the ICE's Knowledge Content Director. Today we're in Chester. After spending the day with Toyota at their Lean Management Centre in Deeside, we've been learning how the automotive sector approaches productivity, embraces modular construction and considering the lessons that the infrastructure sector can take away. Closing the productivity gap is among the biggest challenges facing the infrastructure sector and one that, if solved, would have a wide-ranging impact on the industry's reputation, its carbon output and the ability of its engineers to add value across the built environment. Our guests today will be sharing some of their thoughts and takeaways following the masterclass and drawing out lessons for all you civil engineers and the wider infrastructure industry. Joining us are Darren James from Keltbray, Enjamili Faustin from ACOM and Norman Chan from Essex County Council. Welcome to you all. Darren, starting with you, what's the thing that's really stunned you about today? What's been the biggest takeaway that you think all engineers, if they have to know one thing from Toyota, this is it? Well, first of all, it was a great opportunity to put together two of my uh, most favourite pastimes, which is construction and cars, which was good news. Um, no, we've had a fascinating day um, with a mix of um, absolutely golden nugget takeaways that can be applied straight away. I think uh, things that if we worked harder and did better, we could adopt, and things that are clearly specific to the automotive industry that are not transferable. The vast majority are, however, I think for me, on reflection, that cultural adoption of a fixation around productivity throughout the workforce from senior management all the way down to the front line was obvious today. The participation of the front line in that constant strive for improvement was tangible wherever we went. Um, so that was really, really good. Clearly, some of the, the, the Japanese methodology was also prevalent. I quite enjoyed the Japanese, Welsh and English signs about the place, um, which, which, which was interesting. Absolutely loads, and I'm sure my colleagues will, will agree, the specific takeaways like the seven waste types that we could drive out, um, and having that plan, do, check, review cycle. Look, for me, there's been lots to take away and lots for us to take a responsibility of implementing. No, absolutely. I mean, just to pick up on that, you know, everybody involved right down to everyone on the front line, the fact that everyone on the front line is motivated, encouraged and, and expected to bring forward uh, identifications for improvement and and near misses two or two of each um, in an, every month just and and the fact that they are heard and taken seriously just just resonated through the day didn't it it did and, and the fact that they were also um, recognized for doing so there was a high level of um, recognition posted around the plant for those that did and interestingly it was actually a requirement of them to come up with an improvement um, during every shift which when you've squeezed seconds out of a product, production activity, you know, to learn that an engine can be put together in 52 seconds, to then have an expectation that you've got to squeeze even more out of it in terms of the process was, was pretty incredible, which really underpins that we've got lots that we can take away from today and make sure we implement in the construction process. But, and what was beautiful is some of these improvements that get suggested, they're tiny, they're tiny. They, they, they say, I think, one example that saved 0.1 second in a process, but add up all those 0.1 seconds, it, they all count. And, and okay, we're, our industry isn't quite quite fair, but it just shows some really, really simple and easily identifiable 
um, improvements in our processes would all make a difference. Yeah, and look, that demonstrated the power of a cumulative set of small steps rather than try and go for the big ticket item that, that, that you know, hugely reduces the, 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 the cycle time of a process. They were hell-bent on squeezing as much out of any process as they could. I thought, picking up on that a little bit more, the way that they connected that to the entire workforce was fascinating, and they talked early on in the day about visualisation, but to the point where that 0.1 second saving was a label stuck onto the, the, the item that had provided that saving probably based on one of the workforce's ideas themselves so it, it it's something about communication is it not as well how we treat our teams and our workforce yeah. and again we saw today a lot of visualization a lot of um, sort of pre-start briefing now in fairness the construction industry is very strong at pre-start briefings in terms of ensuring that the health and safety knowledge is transferred but in fact there's a big gap in engaging that opportunity at the beginning of a shift to talk about how could we do things better? What did we do yesterday that we can improve today? So that again, the takeaway is how you improve the efficiency through that engagement with the frontline workforce within things we already do. So the big question, Darren, you are chief executive of Kelpray, a fine um, civil engineering contractor. What will you be taking away from today and, and implementing into Kelpray tomorrow? I think there's a program around cultural shift um, and empowering the front line to contribute to the production gains. Now, granted, rarely do we do something as repetitive that you could get an engine build down to 52 seconds, but we do do repeatable things. Let's not, let's not kid ourselves. But I think it's going to start with leadership showing an interest, investing in training around productivity, because one of the reasons we are where we are, we don't actually have productivity as a sort of a training module throughout the workforce. We, assume, we, we ensure they're competent, we ensure they're safe, we ensure they're given a brief, but we don't actually train them in terms of productivity. So short answer to your question, Mark, is, is it starting the journey of a cultural shift in terms of our whole approach to productivity? Fabulous. Engemili, do you think much of that really resonates with exactly your perspective in the consulting world, or is it were there lots of other things that you thought were really tangible about today that, that could be a, making the difference in your world? Thank you very much, Alex. As a geotechnical designer, I always thought that lean was more ac applicable to processes, say, for example, the activities that happen on a construction site. But after today's visit at the Toyota Lean Management Center, it's just clear to me that we all have, um, we all have a responsibility to reduce the waste in all our daily activities and design activities are no different. I can think of several areas within the design process where we can reduce waste and every little step, as Darren said, makes a difference. Yeah, that was so impactful, wasn't it? That no one is sort of exempt. Everyone's included in this journey. Exactly. And together with continual improvement, then we can improve quality. Um, it has an effect on sustainability and it also increases our productivity. Mm. One of the things I really liked from today, which I think is really applicable across the life cycle of our industry and in the way we move from sort of concept through to detailed design into construction and operation maintenance is, is the point that they made that, you know, the customer to any person in the in the in the process, it, 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 it's not the end user. It's not the person who's going to buy the shiny new Toyota at the end of the day. 
to them, your customer is always the person who's next in the process, who's going to have to pick up where you've left off. And that isn't something that we're particularly good at in our industry, I don't think, is it? And, and that for, for yourself in that kind of, at that front end at the sort of geotechnical design stage, that, that, that must have been an, sort of an interesting perspective. That was really insightful um, to me as a designer. And the other aspect which they touched upon today, which relates to this, is that it's really important as a designer to not only understand your processes, but also the processes of the next step ahead of you and behind you. So that means that even though I'm a designer, I need to really understand what goes on in the planning side and what goes on in the delivery side. And by understanding the, the, those um, activities, I can do my job as a designer better. Absolutely. Norman, your client side now, you're now Essex, Essex County Council, having spent, you know, a number of years before that, um, sort of on the on the other side of the fence. But, but so so for you, what 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 do you take away? What would you love to see um, our industry adopt from today? So today was an amazing opportunity to see another industry performing at their best. So from the client side, how does the construction and the design side, the industry, help us create contracts to benefit you guys to be more productive in, in that respect? And are there, the, the way we write contracts now, are they uh, best suited to, to allow you to innovate, to be more productive, or are we uh, squashing that? And then also, as I always come back to, what about maintenance? At the moment, we focus on new builds and, and granted, uh, they're building a new machine. But what about the maintenance of these new machines or in, within in our, our industry? What about the maintenance and OPEX of the new infrastructure that we're building? And the other big takeaway I got from today was when they were flashing up the slide of how much investment Toyota put in over the course of, uh, I believe it's like three decades, it was nine billion pounds. So how much investment from the industry, from private and from public government money do we need to invest to actually produce uh, an industry to become more productive? Obviously they're small hanging fruits, quick wins. Um, like I really like the cabbage patch um, uh, demonstration of uh, bad workmanship, so to speak. That's a quick win or the, the quick visualizations. They were all quick wins, but there's there's more, as Darren was saying, uh, there's cultural, deep embedded cultural changes that are gonna be very painful to change and slow to change, but we need to change because alongside with this productivity, there's the sustainability coupled with this. And obviously safety, we can't forget that safety. I'm really, I think as I, I'm really, Please, you you picked up on the cabbage patch there, Norman. Um, so the cabbage patch uh, concept, it's, it sounds a bit crazy, but it's a very simple concept, really. On on every part of the the of the of the of the uh, of the factory, every different process um, laid out for each day of the week: Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, as a space, and in that space is where they put examples of anything that has not been manufactured to a required standard or anything that's broken in the process as a really visual visual opportunity for people to go and inspect it see it feel it and understand it and as they're explaining to us it's called the cabbage patch because if there's been nothing in that week 
you put a little green cone on that on that spot instead of instead of the thing that broke. And, and to a Japanese, it looks like a cabbage patch, um, hence the name. But the concept so easily transferable to our industry, and and it went that went part and parcel with another concept they were telling us about, where it's the expectation that people go to the problem, senior management go to the problem. They don't try and solve it behind a spreadsheet. They don't try and solve it in the office. It's common practice to see all management on the floor around the around the cause of the failure, understanding the problem. They don't hide failure. They want failure brought to the surface. And that's something we're, we're, we're terrible at in our industry. We all try and just hide where it's gone wrong, quickly get on with it, which not for desire of doing anything wrong, but it's just in our mindset, isn't it? So it comes back to that changing culture that we could really start to shift. For me, Mark, what, what I saw in the cabbage patch, the only thing I think we replicate in the construction industry of the cabbage patch is how we tackle health and safety incidents. Mm -hmm. We're very open and put out on a table, the so, so the, 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 let's say virtual table, then the virtual cabbage patch, health and safety incidents, we really do drive into what the root cause is, because today the cabbage patch, the reason they were put there, there was a full-blown analysis of what had gone wrong with that defective product. They'd all, they were monitoring trends and things, which we do in health and safety, because we gather trends, we, we share the knowledge. We don't, don't compete as an industry in terms of, of that. We genuinely strive towards it. So, so culturally, we are capable of getting to a place whereby that sort of openness. But today, the biggest difference was today was a defect wasn't something to hide and to fix on the spot. In fact, they discouraged something that goes on in the construction industry, which is the local fix mm -hmm. and get on with it. It was actually, no, 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 don't fix it. Understand what went wrong fully, then apply the process fix so that it doesn't happen again. Um, so I thought that was really enlightening. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's fascinating. Stop, call, wait, they call that, don't they? And, and, and literally everyone is in, in really expected to pull the cord the moment they see something which is just not even a bit wrong. The example was cited to us that a, a, a spark plug was an, a, an operative picked up a spark plug and, and blew a bit of polystyrene fluff off it and, and put it into the you know into into the machinery and uh, and that should have been a stop call wait moment. He should he should have stopped stopped the machine there um, because that could have been indicative of the spark plug box having been dropped or something. That could have been that could have been a bigger bigger issue there. That's that's I think what was similar. So that example is one whereby. Yeah, the immediate problem was a bit of polystyrene in the spark plug gap. And you can easily fix that by blowing it away, which was done. But in the Toyota process, yeah, but what caused the polystyrene to be there in the first place? And was there a more endemic systematic problem? Which is again, coming back to our approach to health and safety. We no longer look at the immediate cause of an incident. We do drill into the, all of the causative effects and therefore have cultural um, and, and, and corporate learning lessons from it in much the same way as Toyota does for quality. So we can get there, but we just need to apply it to uh, quality and productivity as well as we do in terms of health, safety and well-being. I thought that was really interesting, the, the whole problem-solving concept and it not being a solo activity. Um, and... I mean, because that's clearly going to resonate with civil engineers. So problem solving is is one of the, the key competencies that is precious to civil engineers. But the the collaborative, genuine collaborative element of don't try and solve it on your own just yet. Just wait before you leap to that conclusion, because we, we might have a bigger 
better answer for a, for the wider benefit of all if we just take a pause. And it was, and it wasn't even because pulling the cord didn't necessarily mean stopping the production process as well. It was providing a natural outlet, so it had no consequence, no negative consequence to to doing it. And it's just so and not anonymized. You know, the I think the the construction civil engineering industry is encouraged in certain ways to call out stuff but oftentimes it can be in it has to be anonymized because we're also you know it's too risky on commercially and other other ways it's too risky to do it in your own name with your own hand up but that's that's I think the utopian dream isn't it to get to that true open-hearted open-minded no no negative penalties um and I don't I don't know if if it's led by just one part of your industry, you know, is is it is it going to be a client-led thing, Norman? Is it going to be through consultants and early design? Is it going to be contractors, free, real boots on the ground situation, Darren? I, I'm, and I, I'm curious. And I think, Alex, that this is where the ICE can really play a part, you know, in really engaging its members to understand that improvements in not only safety, but quality and productivity and sustainability is everyone's responsibility. It's not something that we can delegate. Well, I think the the Driving Productivity um, Community Advisory Board, it's very clear in the work it did on the total asset lifecycle, this this is a collective effort because productivity can be influenced right from the you know the concept of, of a scheme through the design construction phase through to operations and maintenance so i think it's not one because we all have learned and in fact what we what we didn't see today but in fairness it was made clear to us what we saw today is what toyota is doing about improving the frontline operatives effectiveness but that's on the back of incredibly clever uh, productivity analysis of the product itself excellent market you know there's a reason why toyota is successful they've done it they've done the asset life cycle and they've got productivity at the heart of every single stage and that's what the cab is looking at doing so right darren so please you brought us back to the whole asset life cycle piece because the norman you touch, just touched on it as well i mean i guess what's really interesting is yes toyota they are making a brand new car it's which is very different to the world which the vast majority of our members work in, which is around maintaining aging infrastructure assets, whether it's railways or highways, that which in that first, probably that first thought, you think, well, how is that remotely similar? How are any of these kind of lessons transferable from, from building something in a purely production environment, which is brand new, brand new components going into it, to maintaining, you know, replacing a placing a bit of highway carriageway so so what do you think is can you can you see elements of what we took from today being being used in in your world in in the world of highways maintenance where, where so many of our members work so interestingly enough obviously in in the factory floor there was um, a synergy of uh, automation and of um, human beings there was it was not pure automation and i found it very refreshing for the speaker gary saying that they don't believe in full automation because you needed the flexibility of the human to be there and in our industry i think we we looked at automation and we've gone to the extreme 
to say everything has to be automated, everything has to be drones, everything has to be a computer controlled from someone in an office somewhere, which is uh, completely opposite to what Toyota's doing. And that's very interesting. The other interesting thing is, is that on the factory floor, they're still using paper because it's that intimacy, that almost instant reaction. And as engineers, if you're on site, you're not gonna go on a computer and draw a CAD sketch. You're gonna use your pencil, pen, whatever, to draw it out there and then to problem solve. And to them, that's them problem solving. So this idea of going completely digital has not yet even manifested itself in the, manuf in, in the manufacturing world. So I found that very interesting. And then with, uh, I was talking to Gary offline, the, the um, instructor from Toyota about the, I've forgotten what it's called, the Gamdon or the Lantern that is connecting all the machines. I said, oh, if these machines are all connected, do the engineering maintenance people have a digital twin? Do they have a digital twin of all the robots? So if that machine's faulty, can they say, oh, instantly in their digital realm, virtual, oh, I know exactly that it's part B of machine A is faulty. It's not. The Gamdon just says it's faulty. So they don't have a digital twin of that robot. It still requires an operative, maintenance operative to go in, open the machine up and say, okay, it's X, Y, Z. So the, it's the, the central government has challenged the industry to go digital twin for, for the whole of the UK. So my challenge is, do we really need a digital twin after the whole of the UK? Are we putting all our money in the wrong aspects of civil engineering? Are we forgetting the human side of civil engineering? I think that's- That's my challenge. I just think that's really interesting. I mean, I've, I've never seen so many, um, many, uh, many LibreArch files with, yes. uh, with clear dockets in for, for probably like 10 years. I mean, the, yes. the, the place is washed, but it, but it works. If you're showing an operative how to do a task, it's If pretty, it's, it's not broken, why, why fix it? Why create a new wheel? And it was interesting that there, there are more digital plants than this one, yet this is the most productive. Yes. Mm. So it's not as if they're just putting up with it and then they're the least productive. Yes. They, they, they were outperforming every single other similar plant in the world. Yeah, they were the, yeah, around the world, not just in Europe, around the world. The other interesting thing for me is that at this facility with these processes, these paper processes, um, they can go quicker. So they can make the mm. engines a lot more quicker but they have decided that they, they, well, they've identified at what speed they need to manufacture their um, engines and that's manageable for them. And I think as a consultant, we often have this drive to do things quicker at a lower cost. And based on my observation today, maybe as an industry, we need to pause, step back and say, okay, what can I deliver consistently, reliably, reliably and at a high quality for our clients? I think that those were the two things that exact perfectly put across there, engineer, because those two things are the things that seem so inherent in the storytelling of a, of a successful project in civil engineering is because of all the challenges and the risk. It was on time and it was on budget, but the the re removing waste was not equating to cost in the mind eye of of all of the the workforce today. It was obviously a driving factor, but it was not what was communicated about why removing waste was important. It was 
not incentivized all around this will save the organization money and you'll keep your jobs it was a much more this is the right thing to do ethos for many reasons and your point it was so fascinating about i think one of those activities had been you know you could get it to three seconds long that it took that gentleman in that moment we were watching three seconds to do that particular task he could have done it at one second, but the repeatability and then the reliability of keeping that production line, literally the machines moving. And Alex, is a good point. Now, what would we really like in construction? Predictability. Mm. You know, most clients will tell you that predictability is really, really important. So what we learned from Toyota, which was again a revelation, they weren't constantly driving the pace of, of every activity. They were getting to a point where they had the right balance between efficiency, effectiveness and reliability. And they were constantly thinking, how can we do this better? So they are achieving their benchmark, and it's that continuous improvement. They were constantly reviewing their processes. Yes, it, I mean, it, it just was fascinating at so many levels, wasn't it? You know, at you know, that point that they're currently producing an engine every 54 seconds, and they were saying they could do it at, I think it was 42 seconds, wasn't it? But actually, if they did that, all would happen is they'd finish their shifts early and there'd be nothing left for anyone yeah. to do. So all they were creating was a surplus if they did that. All they were creating a surplus. So actually, by going at a pace they know is a sensible pace, they can build into the day time to take people off the floor, off the production line, put them into some additional training, allow them time to experiment on some of these new ideas that are emerging. It's all planned so that their day starts when it's supposed to start, finishes when it's supposed to finish, but within it, they've had time to do some further added value work, which is just, yeah, such a revelation, I think. So the one I one thought came to my mind when they were saying, when we say in our industry, we're squeezed, every time we squeeze, uh, our programs are squeezed. But interestingly enough, when you look at the CDM, they say for, for the client, you're, you're supposed to allow the designer, you're supposed to allow the, uh, the contractor enough time to come up with design to, to produce um, a project. So why do we why do we still allow ourselves to go into that sort of difficult circle of the client say, well, we need to do it now, or or is it the way that we budget or, or send the pots of money out to get uh, funding out? Is that something that that possibly government need to change? It's such a good question, that isn't it? It's, it's almost one I want to ask you. What do you, are you feeling more open-minded in your role now that it feels like some of those things aren't going to constrain the art of the possible by learning so from, from what you've seen today? So currently, my role is within the maintenance world, and the challenges in the local authority sphere we're finding is that the opex slash maintenance revenue budgets are slashed constantly and then there's a knee-jerk reaction to give you a small bit of money so example is the 200 million pound pothole budget which is thank you central government for doing that but that's for the whole of the uk when the um, defect value is over a billion so there is there does not seem to be an asset management-led um, approach from central government in managing the existing stock, the existing uh, asset they have. And this is not just a recent thing. This has been going on for decades. So I will say to my daughters, don't make three mistakes because 
the three mistakes, the, the same three mistakes, that means you're an idiot. No, nobody makes three mistakes on purpose. You've got to change. With, you, you have to change. So the challenge is, why, why haven't we changed? The client side, why haven't we changed? Why are we still, why is the local authority still begging for maintenance budgets? Why is there a fixation on capital new builds? Well, that's that's I me. Mean, that is a big question. That is a that's 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 a question that will that will carry on for a while. I guess what we've and that and I guess you know government short term you know funding cycle, particularly in 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 the sort of maintenance area, is is a barrier clearly. And and how we overcome that barrier is, I guess, continued um, sort of stating of the case, but. What will help overcome that barrier is, is 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 us being able to deliver more productively when the money is is made available and doing more with that that money. I guess I guess that's that's our takeaway here, isn't it? Is to you know embrace some new techniques to make more of the of the money we've got. From my experience as a consultant, it's such a competitive landscape to win a project that the um, squeeze on resources or budget is more or less self-inflicted to win the project. Mm. Um, so it's a little yeah. bit different to the government-funded projects. The selling point is being able to do something cost-effectively in a timely Quicker. fashion. Mm. It's really challenging, isn't it? The, the, there is, it's an environment that's culturally um, led by the leadership of Toyota and its ethos. But in the world where those entities have of the, the leaders and the deci decision makers, I suppose, is is going to be quite different in your world, isn't it? But is it something, Darren, you mentioned throughout today about education, about educating on productivity. Is some of this about how engineers are able to sell their skills, that it's not about doing something just in a compressed time frame to a compressed you know, budget? Is it something about trying to sell the skills differently, just in the way that the frontline workers were empowered to be able to sell upwards their ideas or their problems to solve? I think in fence we need to help particularly the, the new entrants to the industry understand that as a civil engineer, you know, one of your responsibilities is to, to deploy the more sustainable resources to deliver the best outcome for society. And that includes labour force. Um, and therefore it should be, you know, should be uh, let's say respected as part of their role, that they have to come up with clever ideas and manufacturing uh, uh, methods that utilize the most efficient resource pool to, to, to deliver the uh, objectives. I do fear we burden them with, with other things uh, that are, are, equal, are equally important, but at the exclusion of this particular aspect of their role. And maybe we should encourage a higher profile respect to engineers that deliver huge productivity gains or implement processes that get the t two seconds of every activity gains because I do know we recognize awards around uh, things like health and safety, well-being, environment, sustainability but you know maybe we need to reflect on ourselves whole collectively then what, when was the last time you saw a pretty high profile person congratulated for coming up with yes. either a method or a process yes. That, 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 that made an, a, a civil engineering activity or design or project far more productive. 
the potential gains of that one could be much larger than some of the others you've cited, I suppose, as well. And that, you know, it's a philosophy almost if it if you applied it once, it might well really translate very broadly. That's what we heard a lot today, isn't it? We use the term value engineering quite widely. Mm. Yes. But quite often we, 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 we apply value engineering at a time when the design's reasonably frozen and the consequence of change of the implemented the value engineering far away. But that's changing the, what we do. There's not as much emphasis on what I would call productivity engineering. Mm. Absolutely. Well, I think we've taken a lot from today, haven't we? We have indeed. Are you feeling more concerned about the barriers in front of you after what you've seen today or more optimistic about what's possible? And Jamili, start with you. I think, in my opinion, um, based on my observation over the last um, year or so, particularly post-pandemic, I am a bit concerned that one barrier could be the transient nature of the workforce within the infrastructure industry or wider engineering in industry. Because it was clear today that these workers at the Toyota Lean Management Center, they were there for years. So they understood, uh, they had a good appreciation of what some of the previous problems and what not to do. And that was really embedded in them and allowed them to make um, improvements. But when we have um, the workforce constantly changing, then we lose some of that knowledge. So that's one potential barrier for, to us being more productive quick, quickly. Yes, such an important point made today, wasn't it? Norman, how about you? On the balance of it, more optimistic or concerned about the barriers? I feel optimistic as there was a good representation of the tier one contractors. And interestingly enough, when we went to the, fa uh, to the factory, although it was a manufacturing um, sphere, although there are different industries, we did have similarities and that was quite heartening to see. Uh, my, my only other barrier will be not the tier one contractors and, and consultants, it's the smaller tier two, I say smaller T2s and the SMEs, whether they will be able to take this on. Because as we can see with, with BIM <laughs> level two, supposedly that was supposed to come around and everybody was going to be BIM level two by uh, April 2016. That has not filtered down to the tier twos and SMEs. So the challenge for us from the client side and also wider industry, how, how do we learn from that failure? Like in Toyota, how do we learn from that failure and how do we learn from that and actually make productivity um, a win? Because with productivity with a win, then everybody wins. Darren? Well, I tell you, there was a, the, one of the big takeaways for me today is um, I've been afraid, um, and you know, as, as a leader in the business, I've been afraid to not jump on the bandwagon. The technology is the answer to everything. Mm. And yet I went to a heavily technology-focused business today for them to tell us that actually people are key. Paperwork is a better visualization than, than digital. Yes, digital tools have got a, a role to play. But one of the things I'm going to take away is not be afraid to sound like, an, uh, uh, let's say, um, I don't know, in the end at all then, and say d digital tools are, are part of the toolbox you can use, but start off with the basics around, you know, empowering your people, talking about where we can get pro productivity gains, visualizing something on something pretty straightforward, like an A3 plan of paper on a wall that you are genuinely talk about. So for me, that was, uh, um, I've almost got a license to, to actually um, <clears throat> and be authentic, which is, which is a strange one for me. 
I, th- I think that's a perfect way to end it there. And that, that really does sum it up, I feel. Be more authentic, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yes, that is all, ta- all we have time for today. Um, thank you to Darren and Jamili and to Norman for, all, uh, for joining us and for sharing your very valuable thoughts. And, and I guess really thank you to that Toyota team that I think we all took a lot from today and they were just great in their enthusiasm. Um, you listeners can find more podcasts in our Continuing Professional Development Programme covering a range of topics from MMC to resilience and carbon reduction. You can access them by visiting ICE's Knowledge Hub. Thank you all very much for listening and we will be speaking to you again soon. Goodbye.